love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm here with my co-host, fellow professional triathlete, Haley Chura. And Haley, I'm going to ask you this, because this is pretty unique that we are getting to do this special, much anticipated show segment twice in a year. So Haley, I haven't really warned you about this, but can you give us to start things off today, a Kona prep workout of the week? Oh gosh, I know. I feel like this is going to be a very short couple weeks segment because Kona is, is quickly coming. And for any of our listeners who aren't aware, I did race an Ironman a little over two weeks ago at Ironman Montreal in Canada. So trying to do this like six and a half week turnaround, I think, or is it six and a half week, five and a half week? I don't even know. Um, between Tremblant and Kona. So I guess I do have one. I have one that I'm actually pretty proud of. I did, I did a run the other day and so normally in past years when I've had more time, but after an Ironman, like I might not run for two weeks, um, just because I do feel like the marathon takes a lot out of me and I like to take some downtime from that and just make sure I'm okay. And I did actually get at least one concerned listener who was like, how are your feet? And, um, from my, my barefoot stroll through the Tromblant, uh, uh, transition zone, I'm not very good at running barefoot, but they're okay. And so I, I started kind of running back. I started with a brick and just kind of eased back into running. And so I had my first run with intensity this past Thursday, which is, I guess, about 10 days after, um, 10, 11 days after the race. And which again, much, much earlier than I would have. So I did a 40 minute run and within it, I did eight by like one minute builds. So like building every 20 seconds, basically with two minutes easy. And I do feel like that's a good session. Um, I feel like that's like, definitely, it was like a nice session because I mean, eight, eight by one minute is a lot actually like, um, you know, and I wasn't, I was just doing them on trails. So I wasn't really paying attention to like specific pace. I was just going by feel, but again, my first bit of intensity in, you know, 10 days since a lot of intensity in that race. And so I was really happy with how my legs felt like really happy with how my legs responded. Um, it actually felt better than an easier run I had done earlier. And so I was pretty stoked just to like, be able to like get my feet turning over. And even though we're like talking about 20 seconds at a time, um, it was, it felt pretty good and gave me a little bit of confidence. I also did it in the afternoon and we've had a bit of a heat wave here in Bozeman. Um, I thought it was like, oh, it's so hot. And then I think it was like 85, which is not that hot. <laughs> It felt hot to me. So anyway, short and sweet, a little bit of intensity, um, way to knock out 40 minutes of, uh, solid running. Oh, I like it. And I, I like one minuteers and I like that you built in by 20 segments. I often do like 20 second strides and stuff like that. Um, and I, I like it because you don't have to really worry about pace. You're just going for like the feel for the turnover, for the effort, for that kind of thing. Cause I mean, I guess you could like lap things out on the Garmin, but I don't think I, I don't know if someone works for Garmin and they want to tell me otherwise they can, but I don't think 20 seconds is long enough for your thing on your wrist to actually be telling you like exactly what pace it is and have it be anywhere close to accurate. So 
I think that's like a nice thing for people too, who might be coming back from a race and kind of getting ready for something else to keep in mind that like, yeah, you can do things like that and not worry about the numbers behind it. Just focus on the effort, let your body keep shaking out and you know, probably keep eating. Are you like a hungry, hungry hippo? I feel like I've been a hungry, hungry hippo since July when I did the white mountains FKT and then it continued through Scotland and I'm still a hungry, hungry hippo. So I'm still saying it's like part of my recovery process to be eating as much as humanly possible. I know. I think that might just be like normal state of life by now. I, I have been trying to focus a little bit more on fluids. Like I said, which is like the, um, warmer temperatures throwing that noon into my water bottles and um, before, during, and after sessions and, um, just trying to like keep myself, yeah, keep myself recovered and like into this next build, like simultaneously, we'll see how this goes. You know, it's a, I have done, you know, I've done two Ironmans like five or six weeks apart in the past. Um, but it's been a long time. I mean, I think that was like the last time I did this was like my first pro race and like 2012. Oh wait, no, I did a little bit in 2013, which I regretted later, but, um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I have done it. I've done it well in the past, but like the last time that happened was 2012, but you know what the last, I, I'm, it's like, we're like back to the early two thousands now, right. <laughs> in fashion in Haley's training in everything. So yeah, just Actually, taking it one day at a time. Haley, you will appreciate this. Do you, you do you use Spotify for your music? I don't know. Oh, I don't shoot. Okay. Well maybe, I don't know. I guess this will, there's someone created and I saw this on Twitter somehow yesterday. Someone created a playlist called the older millennial college rager throwback list. And it's Haley. It's like perfect for when, cause when we were in college and like, I mean, not that I was really raging too much in college, but I mean, these songs definitely take me back to that time frame. But so if anyone else was in college in the same time that Haley and I were, which would be what, like especially like 2008 era, I feel like is when I graduated. Is that when you graduated? 2007, but yeah, I've been listening to, well, some, I mean, I've, I've been on like the power woman tour with like Beyonce, Lizzo, um, Donna has her like number ones, uh, album that's out. And then, you know, the new news about Taylor Swift, um, coming the out. The countdown is October, on. Oh man, I know. <laughs> So, I mean, that's like, that's where I've been recently. Um, but both Beyonce and Lizzo's recent albums, I do feel like are like really good for working out. Like they're like, I think they're meant for dancing, but you know, dancing, running, riding hard on the trainer, all the same to me. So that's been definitely what like I've been into recently. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I would ask for more music recommendations, but I'm actually not really going to, because all the mailbags that are coming in right now, we are saving for our mailbag. I guess we could like on that day, on the mailbag episode day, do a big music recommendation release <laughs> as well for everyone's like recovery activities after Kona or something like that. But I'm sure people are still racing late into November. So then you could still use that music then. But um, spoiler alert, we are doing a mailbag episode in a few weeks. So the week of Kona racing. So the first week in October, our episode that week will be a mailbag episode. So we've been saving a bunch of questions, some that I had buried deep in the mailbag and forgotten about. So sorry to those folks, but we are unearthing them and we are bringing them out of the mailbag and to bring to your listening pleasure for that October episode. So send us some more if you have them. It's going to be a fun episode for us to just do mailbags so that Haley can like 
not stress at all about the world championships in a few days and just answer well, no, all your burning questions. <laughs> it's because the world championships this year is on a Thursday. And so our podcast, you know, we always release on Thursdays and race day is Thursday. And so anything we put out before is going to be out of date by the time like the race go, the cannon goes off. And so, you know, what better than us to have pre-recorded some advice and, um, and then we'll be back with, uh, with, uh, race reflections from all the people post-race, but, um, but yeah, you, people can listen to it since it is Hawaii. If they're not, they're in a different time zone, they can like listen to that. We'll have a preview show, but that will come out the week before because it felt too close to have it only the preview come out like on the day it's happening before. Yeah. <laughs> before it happens so um anyway we're, we're just working through our scheduling you know but I think Thursday is gonna be exciting so yeah while you're if they're like is you know while you're waiting for the start you can listen to us answer your questions but send in your questions so we have things to answer otherwise it'll be a very short episode <laughs> And some other housekeeping items is this is your last week for us to remind you to head to womensperformance.com, click on Outspoken Award nominations and nominate your favorite women in sport for an Outspoken Award. Um, there's a lot of awards categories for athletes, coaches, race directors, all of the above. And we definitely want all the nominations in there to make the Outspoken Awards as great as ever. So make sure you head to womensperformance.com. Yeah, September 11, midnight Pacific. Do you already say that? Um, just a reminder. So if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, you only have a couple of days to get that in. But um, we definitely want to get those people recognized. And Alyssa, we have a great, are we ready? Are we ready to introduce our guests this week? This is a fun one for us, yeah, right? I mean, I they're always ready. Fun, but I think we're ready. Yeah, so this week we are chatting with Vicki Holland. So Vicki is a British triathlete. She was the bronze medalist in 2016 at the Rio Olympics. She was also the world champion for... I guess, world championship triathlon series racing in 2018. And she's a three-time Commonwealth Games medalist. In recent years, she has kind of started to transition into a little bit more broadcasting work in addition to her racing. And most recently, she was a broadcaster at the Collins Cup. So we get the perspective of the Collins Cup from Vicky from that broadcasting booth. She tells us about how things played out for her behind the scenes, but also a little bit how she got into broadcasting, um, the compare and contrast between some of the other events that she has been a part of, like the Sub 8 Project and Super League. And Vicky is probably a voice you will recognize if you are someone who likes to listen to uh, or watch, you know, triathlons on TV or streaming services like, like we do. So we are going to have this great conversation with Vicki Holland right after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Vicki. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank you for having me. So we're really very excited to chat with you. We're talking to you about a week after the Collins Cup, and this was your second year on the commentary team there. So what did you think of this year's event? Yeah, so I was involved, as you said, last year with the very first Collins Cup and then uh, invited back to be a part of it again this year in the commentary team. And I would say last year we had quite a lot of technical difficulties, which I think most people watching the broadcast were probably aware of. And, you know, quite a few of us came out of it just a bit disappointed because we were so excited about this flagship new event and then felt that the broadcast quality, which had been sort of talked about a lot beforehand as being like one of the real pillars and cornerstones of like PTOs, 
kind of model going forward. It just didn't quite hit the mark for us last year. So this year, things were very different. There was a lot more people on the ground um, kind of smoothing things over for us. So from our point of view, like with the commentary side of things, this year was an absolute dream to work on. Like it was so easy. Um, really you know interesting to kind of be in the races all the time like the time flew by um which I think is always a good sign like when you're working an event if you feel like it goes fast that's good um I think from from the athlete point of view I think the athletes who get to race it love it um I don't think anybody would be there if they didn't I mean the, the money is great as well we know that PTO are putting out really good prize purses um, really good equal pay equal coverage and if anything actually I think um, Collins Cup kind of favors the women because of the way the racing is the women start the day and then you're always going back for the key moments in the women's races so by the time they start finishing the men are only kind of on the bike still so you kind of end up seeing proportionally I think a lot more of the women over the day than you do the men which is something that's quite novel you know maybe we don't have that that often that the women get a bit more of the attention than the men do so I think all those things are really cool I think I would love to see maybe some innovations to kind of make it even more exciting going forward I don't know exactly what those are I haven't kind of figured that out um but I think for uh you know first one two years of an event they're doing good things and from what I understand from the little bit that I have worked with middle and long distance people now doing the bits of commentary I've done, I would say that people either want to go or they've been and they want to go back. And I'd say that's quite a good endorsement for an event. Um, so those are probably my, my main reflections so far. I love it. I love it. And Vicky, the, the matches for the Collins Cup were announced on Thursday. Um, so that's a tight turnaround before things, you know, before the gun goes off on Saturday. So what was kind of your prep like? Like how much studying were you able to do? I imagine there's a lot of other things that need to be going on in that like 24 to 48 hours before go time too. So, you know, did you feel like, were you doing a lot of studying? You know, did you kind of prep a lot before that how did that go for you yeah so something I actually started earlier this year was I basically have like a spreadsheet now <laughs> of any middle or long distance athlete that I've ever commentated on racing um so whatever event I've been to and I've only done a handful so far so I'm very aware of that um but it basically just keeps expanding so PTO Edmonton was a huge one that that meant you know I immediately had 40 names here and 40 names here for the girls and the guys and then similarly um for the event I worked in LA with yourself Haley. um so I had some names on my on my spreadsheet from that as well a couple of new ones came in for Collins Cup who hadn't raced either of those so basically my intention is that every race I do I would just add more names to this spreadsheet and on the spreadsheet I've got everything from I try and stalk people basically um I've got everything from where you live where you're from if it's not the same place your age your coach your training group uh recent results um for events that aren't Collins Cup I also try to put on things like what your suit looks like what do you normally wear so that for someone like me who maybe doesn't know you guys as well as as other pure like long course middle distance um, athletes, I can pick people out really easy. Like I know what suit Haley wears, so that I can be like, okay, I can pick, I can pick you out. 
Um, so I have things like that on it. And then when it gets closer to an event, as we did with the Collins Cup, they go sort of copy and paste the names that I need onto a different spreadsheet. Um, so it's actually quite easy to just pick the names out and put them into the matchups because I'd already done all the background work. Um, and I obviously didn't need to do anything on suits because Team Europe are all in blue and Team USA are all in the red and blue and then Team International are in there. Was it green, yellow and red, I think. So um, basically having the prep work done beforehand meant that the 48 hours before the race weren't quite so crazy. It was really just a case of copying and pasting those across. But the other thing with Collins Cup is that it's not like a normal event, like a PTO race or a middle long distance event where you're kind of watching the same thing for hours and hours at a time. They're trying to flip between the races. And I know their intention beforehand was that we were going to move between races probably about every minute. So when that happens, you don't actually have a lot of time to tell background stories on people, like information that you might have. Oh, well, this person has been injured early this year, but they've got this result from last year, whatever. You don't actually have as much time to do that because it's so like, we're going from this event, this, this race right now, we're onto this screen, we're back to match three, we're on match seven, like it flips around a lot. So you don't actually have as much time to do that, which is actually quite, quite good. I think it keeps the commentary more like in the moment. Um, but I do love having as much information as people about people as I can before I start so that, yeah, I feel prepared. <laughs> Was there any women's race or performance this year that really surprised you? Um, let me think back to them. I think, I think Annie Haug was better than she thought she was going to be. I know in the days beforehand, she'd spoken about how she felt that team, I think she was a bit nervous. I think she'd felt that team Europe had a lot more like Ironman specialists than like 70.3 in middle distance. And I think she's also aware that quite a few of them were deep in Ironman training. And I think that was the case for some athletes. We saw some of them just weren't as sharp as maybe you would have expected because they're deep in a Kona block. And that's, that's always going to happen at this time of year. And I think Annie was very much kind of prepping people and herself to be like, guys, I am deep in the Kona training block right now. But she was, I think, super impressive the way she raced. And um, it was the same matchup actually that had Tamara Jewett. And I think she was a huge, I would say, breakout performance. Like, I thought that was really super impressive from her. Someone we know has come into the sport with an amazing running background, but has really struggled with her swimming and sort of put the whole swim bike run together. Um, yeah, I thought on the day she was fantastic, the way that she she had a game plan and it was, I'm going to swim and bite my socks off. And if I can stay close to the runners in this match, then, you know, maybe I've got a shout. And I think I, I did get to speak to her really briefly afterwards. And I think she knew she'd probably gone a little bit too deep on the bike, but I think it was a really good learning experience for her. And I just wouldn't be surprised to see her back next year and better than ever because she started to kind of figure out how to put all three together now. I wonder if it's that team dynamic that helps some of the athletes, especially those who are deep in the training block, right? To like dig into that extra gear, because I think that it does weigh heavily on your mind. I'm sure when you're racing that yeah. like, it's not just the individual performance, it's like the team aspect. And I think that's a great way to get like an extra 10% out of yourself when you're fatigued from a build like for Kona, which a lot of those women were in. So yeah, definitely. And we saw the same last year, even though obviously Kona didn't happen in the end last year, but there were athletes like the, the obvious one last year was like a Jan Fredeno who just put 
everything on the line in that race. He didn't have, he was going to win the race. He was already winning it quite early on, but he put everything in to try and get extra bonus points for the team because there were these bonus points available for the time gaps over your competitors. And that was something that we saw again this year, someone like Daniela, who, again, I should mention Daniela, having had such a terrible time there last year, being unwell in the build-up to the race, but still desperate to kind of perform for Team Europe and was just not the Daniela that we all know. And then this year she turned up and went, hey guys, can still do this, full six points for the team, thank you very much. And she just went really deep to get that. And you were seeing the girls cross the line absolutely destroyed ashy gentle absolutely destroyed paula finlay the same they were all in a heap at the end even though it wasn't close like they were winning by quite a long way but they needed to win by more to get get those bonus points and i think that is one of the better concepts of collins cup i think that's something that brings a lot out of people and and as you said Alyssa, it's for the team right so in long course and middle distance um triathlon you don't get to do that that often like in short course we do we have the mixed team relay but that doesn't happen in middle and long distance racing so yeah it's quite I think a unique concept for a lot of these athletes and from what I've seen two years in a row they seem to really really get behind it and I think for the swim you were commentating with Kevin McKinnon of triathlon magazine Canada so did you two have any time to practice together ahead of time so actually Kevin was on the ground so Kevin was kind of um, doing the on-ground commentary and then I was Barry, with Barry Shepley. Um, so in the commentary booth, that's who I was That's who I was commentating with the whole time. And I've known Barry sort of vaguely, if you like, for years and years and years because he used to commentate what used to be ITU is now World Triathlon. So he was for a long time the voice of, of World Triathlon. Um, and then I worked with him in Edmonton as well and at last year's Collins Cup. So I've done a couple of work, uh, sort of shifts working with him as well. And I do think we're, we're still figuring out our dynamic and how we work as, as sort of lead commentator and then I'm technically like the expert of triathlon but Barry's also an expert of triathlon anyone who knows Barry knows he knows so much about triathlon so just balancing our strengths and how we work together is something that we're still trying to work on and get better at and hopefully we'll get more opportunities to do that and um, bring better overall commentary to everyone watching. There was a moment I was watching when you like very smoothly corrected him. It was like, I think he had said, he said someone was like a Commonwealth champion when they weren't, I can't remember. It was something like that. And maybe, <laughs> maybe they're talking about non-Stanford while Aaron Royal was racing or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah, and then you were be. like, and then you were like, yes, she was, you know, second in that mixed relay. And then, you know, and then came back and won the European championship. It was like very, it was interesting. Like, I don't think most people would have noticed, but I was like, Ooh, you were on it on that. And so well, I thought that was very impressive. Thank you. There are, there are certain commentary etiquette rules, <laughs> which I have learned over the years. So even though I've only been doing commentary with middle long distance for, for, you know, a year or so, um, I have done bits with the BBC in the UK ever since the London 2012 Olympics. So not routinely, not frequently, but whenever I haven't been racing for whatever reason, I've been injured or something. Um, they've often asked me in as a guest again to like commentate. So I've got kind of bits of experience over about a decade now and one of the things I learned really early on is that you're not really supposed to correct people so if you are going to correct them you have to be very clever about how you do it or you have there are certain ways that you can say it and 
I know I'm guilty of it as well. I'll be midway through a spiel about someone's race results and what they've achieved. And then at the end of it, someone will basically have to kind of subtly correct that I've made, I've given them a place wrong here or there. And that was exactly what Barry did. He was sort of, you know, gushing about Non and the amazing career she's had and just got, you know, one tiny thing out. So when we were going through, I just kind of, as you said, said it correctly. And then hopefully people at home go, oh, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but it is hard when you've got so many facts about people. Um, and also in the commentary booth, there's just so many different kind of screens, pieces of paper, uh, I've got my laptop with my database that I mentioned earlier, my spreadsheet, and I'm trying to pick things out whilst focusing on what's going on in front of you because you don't want to miss something. You don't want to be so deep, desperate to tell a story or to tell details of facts that you actually miss the whole race going by. So there is inevitably things like that that happen, but there is just definitely an, an etiquette to how you do it. You don't cut over someone and correct them or, you know, you don't say, oh, actually you're wrong. Like you have to, it's quite, it's quite subtle the way that you need to do it. And along those lines on the etiquette, um, you know, often in triathlon commentary, we hear a lot of uproar over girls versus women. And that does seem to be a challenging, a challenging, you know, vernacular for a lot of triathlon announcers. Do you, you know, do you work consciously on trying to say or avoid certain words or phrases? Yes and no. I think I try not to let it play too much into who I am and how I naturally speak, because I do think that that can be, um, almost counterproductive. It doesn't come across as fluid and natural, but I'm always trying to think beforehand, you know, trying to encourage myself, what kind of words is appropriate, is not appropriate. But there are people who in commentary and, and not so much working as often now, but who might be tempted still to use terminology regarding people's body size or um, their age, or, you know, there's things like that that I think we're getting better at as a whole and being a woman in the sport myself like it's a lot easier for me to just just don't go down that route like I just don't address it because I think if being in triathlon as long as I have been I have been sorry has taught me anything it's that there's not a one-size-fits-all in triathlon so you know we've seen Olympic champions who have been super petite super tall you know really muscly like the whole lot so it's it's pretty evident that it's not like this is the size you need to be to do triathlon therefore it's just don't even don't even go there um so yeah those are probably the things that um I really try to avoid I've never personally had an issue with things like calling them girls women ladies like I try to think about what I would feel if someone was talking about me as an athlete if they were saying it's the girls race or the guys race how would I feel about that I have no issue being called one of the girls. I have no issue being called the ladies, the women. That doesn't, that doesn't touch me at all. So I, have, I feel probably therefore more confident saying it about others, um, whether they're happy with that or not. Maybe that's something that I need to do a little bit more work and a bit more, um, a bit more research on. But yeah, I think there are certain ways we talk about them. But then also with the work I've done with the PTO, they're so keen to promote as much as they can the fact that they've had this maternity policy, which is brilliant because no one else is doing it yet. And I don't know why, but they're not. <laughs> and hopefully they will start doing it. But 
I'm more than happy to talk about that because yeah, let's shout about it. That's brilliant that you're doing something when so many organizations are kind of sitting on their hands and, and not really getting there. And Vicky, the broadcast teams of two rotated throughout the race. So who was it who decided the teams and your speaking order? Yeah, so that changed a little bit. We had actually some last minute changes due to an original commentator was due to come who then couldn't come because they were unwell. So there was always meant to be four and two shifts of two. Um, And originally I was meant to be with this other commentator, this male British commentator who actually works a lot in um, UFC. So he's kind of from a different background. He worked the LA event um, uh, back in May this year as well, but he couldn't come. So we last minute had to like bring someone else in and we sh- we decided that for the the sound of voices, it was probably best not to put the two British people together. So myself and Rachel Stringer, who's actually a reporter and a presenter and was there originally to report, um, got drafted in as, to be the lead commentator to sit with Belinda Granger. Um, that was, you know, huge throw in the deep end for her. She found out she was doing that with like 48 hours notice because we were really short on a commentator. Um, We had, as I said, someone was due to come, couldn't come, got someone else in, then they couldn't come. So it was very much like things, you know, happening, things hitting the fan, shall we say, on race week, um, which is just what everyone always wants. So we ended up basically deciding those on who we thought the voices would sound best with. So Belinda with an Australian accent, with Rachel the British accent, me with a British accent, with Barry with the Canadian accent. So it just kind of balances things things a little bit. Um, and yeah, that was probably the main, main reason why we did that, to be honest. And it was always ob- obvious that myself and Belinda shouldn't get put together because we were the two, and I say in inverted commas, expert commentators, whereas Barry and Rachel were the lead. Um, and something that myself and Belinda are also aware of, having only worked together just twice so far, is that we get on really, really well. But that means that we almost need someone to get in the middle and say, I'm going to lead this and steer this conversation, because if they don't, we just just go off on one, the pair of us. And I think we felt like that happened a bit in Edmonton. We um, we were sort of guilty of almost talking over each other at points and you know, I've even had people say to me since, oh, did you two not get on? And we were like, no, it's the opposite. It was almost like a conversation that you have with a friend where you're just kind of gaveling away at one another. And then afterwards, we thought that didn't co- that didn't come across especially well. So uh, if me and Belinda do work together again, sort of paired together, it is something that we're just going to have to be a bit more conscious of and hopefully um, a little bit better at. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a, you do a lot of self-reflection after these events, do you actually watch the, you know, the commentary, the broadcast, rewatch it after the race and kind of think of ways that you could try to improve or is someone giving you this feedback? Um, a lot of it actually happens in the moment. Like a lot of it, I go, that wasn't very good. Like I'm quite critical in the moment of being like, oh, I don't think even things like I'll say a sentence and be like, that wasn't especially grammatically correct there. Like what were you trying to say? And I'll end up sort of just run my words running away with me or I'll know that I could have said that in half the time I mean I'm a wordy person anyway I'm not very good at that so just trying to rein it back in so those are things that I pick up in real time 
but I do wherever possible try and watch um, or listen back at least to sections of it with the Collins Cup it's obviously a six-hour broadcast so it's quite a long thing to to look back over but just trying to pick up sections of it to kind of yeah realize okay well that bit was really good like that's I'm pleased with that but this section yeah maybe maybe was a bit wishy-washy we could do better there so yeah I do and I think a lot of that is it's it's in my nature it's who I am anyway whether it was growing up being involved in sport or whether it was my studies like it was always something that I wanted to do to the best of my ability the perfectionist in me comes out and I come off these broadcasts and if you ask my husband or my mum nearly always they'll get a message you know they'll have said oh well done or how do you feel it went and I'll usually I'll usually give them a really balanced reply of oh, I really enjoyed it but <laughs> I didn't think I did this very well or maybe it wasn't my best or you know so I'm I'm always quite self-critical but I just think that's that's kind of who I am like I said as an athlete but also as a person and Vicky as an athlete you are an incredible athlete yourself you are a bronze medalist from the Rio Olympics among many other accolades and you've raced a lot of the women that you're commentating about. So how do you balance kind of including any personal tidbits or race experiences with these athletes while still keeping the focus on, you know, the athletes and the race at hand? If I'm honest, I try not to as much as possible. I think um, I'm usually introduced at the start of a broadcast as someone who's, you know, an athlete who's raced, like you said, the Olympic games, all that kind of stuff. So I like to think that gives people at home and if they don't know who I am enough of an idea who I am before we start so I don't do commentary to try and plug what I've done so I'm really conscious that when I'm talking about Nicola Spirig it's enough to say I've raced her and I can just leave it there I don't need to say oh when I raced her at this race or unless it's something that I think is going to come across like super relevant to this moment I don't really mention it or I might say I remember in this race her doing something but I won't just I won't mention that I was in the race I'll just say oh yeah I remember that sprint finish in London 2012 I was I was in the race but I'm not gonna <laughs> I don't I don't that's kind of irrelevant to be honest and then what I tend to find happens as happened for example in the Collins Cup was that someone like Barry picks up on things instead and he asks me so if he asked me a direct question about when I was racing or what would I have done in this situation and I think that's absolutely fine but I do think sometimes as a as a commentator you can potentially come across as harping on a bit about your career when actually that's not what's happening at that moment at that moment you are there to call the action that's in front of you which is just different and so yeah wherever I can I try not to bring in too many personal anecdotes because I think that's just maybe a little bit (laughs) self-indulgent Vicky, the Collins Cup, we've talked about how unique this whole, that whole event is, but there's so many races going on. And so I'm curious, like, where are you physically sitting? And like, can you see the races that are going on? Can you see any more than what us as the audience, the viewers can see on the, on the screen? So we actually moved between last year and this year. So last year we were overlooking the transition zone. Um, which actually we did pick up on a couple of things like there was a couple of mishaps in transition that we could see down to that happening so there were things there that we could pick up and then this year we moved to a booth that was right overlooking the finish line so again we could see the athletes come into the finish and then we could also see because of the way they went out on the run course they run around the outside of that horse track to start their run loop 
so quite often because especially when we got into the men's races there's so much going on there's 12 races going on at one time for quite a couple you know a couple of hours there you miss certain people coming through transition but then you'd see them run out and so I would stay in the commentary booth even when I wasn't commentating so that I could listen firstly so I can be in on everything that's happened but also so that when it's our turn again to commentate I don't say exactly the same thing that Belinda and Rachel might have just said so it was really useful to stay in that commentary booth but myself and Barry would be sat there like nudging each other going can you see that can you see that because we're pointing at what's going on as two athletes come out of transition exactly together or something like that so yeah we could see a tiny bit more but because of the dynamics of that course I mean once they're out on the bike that's it they're gone we don't see them again at all um and then on the run like I said once they came around for that first section on the horse track they then disappeared off onto the run course and then we wouldn't see them again until really close to the finish and the coverage was good at making sure that we picked up every single person coming through the finish so even though we could see that ourselves that was being picked up on the cameras anyway Okay. And so is there like a studio, like where you have like 12 different screens, like where at least like one match has, you know, a camera on it at each time, or is it like literally what we see as a viewer where it's like one at a time and you're just commentating on what's on the screen? So it's a bit of both. So in our commentary booth, the way it worked was myself and Barry had a screen each, which had exactly the same thing on. And it's what you were seeing at home and the same okay. for Belinda and for Rachel, they had the same. And then sat directly in between the two kind of commentary pairs was Torsten, um, stat man extraordinaire. And he had a screen that again, mostly was showing what everyone else was seeing, but he had the ability to change it between matches. So he could flip between all the different matches and he could see something. And if he saw something that he thought we should be paying more attention to, he could flag it back to the, the producing truck. And we also, on top of that, had someone in the producing truck as well, because they have got all 12 screens, because there's a motorbike camera with every 12, every one of the races. So there would always be someone in there who is like a triathlon expert, if you like. So they could be going, this is going on in match four. We need to go to match four. Um, so that was the way that we were hoping to kind of catch everything that went on. And it did mean that, for example, in the men's racing, a lot of them were like really clear cut. The only one that was like a real, real race was the Sanders long laid low. Like that was built up as the biggest race and then delivered the greatest dynamics of racing. So we actually spent a lot more time on them. And there was a couple of points where I wanted us to go and see what, was, what else was going on. But to be honest, the reason we didn't was because then you go to a camera of one person leading with no sight of anyone else because they were quite away in front. So we did that a couple of times. It was most interesting when it was someone like Aaron Royal, because that was bringing a win back for Team International. Whereas at this point, Team Europe were kind of steamrolling things. So we were trying to focus on things that wasn't just Europe, 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 because if I'm honest, before the race, we actually thought Team International and Team Europe would be really close. Um, I think that on paper, those teams looked like pretty evenly matched. Um, but Team Europe, I think, were better this year than they were last year in terms of the way they delivered on the day. And so by quite early on, it was becoming apparent that Team Europe were going to win. So again, to try and give balanced coverage, it was, OK, right, what races can we show that aren't just going to be us watching blue suits running around winning? 
And you've commented commentated at other races like the Sub Eight Project and Super League. So how does Collins Cup compare to some of the other things you've done? Well, Sub Eight was very different because Sub Eight was such a long day, um, and you've got a lot of time. So in Sub Eight, it is about the stories. It is about um, trying to tell this narrative, each individual's narrative, where they come from, all their all the like uh, their origin stories. There's a lot of um, VT inserts, uh, video inserts that get put in there to sort of try and bulk out the day. Um, and even then, you rotate in and out of commentary, which is great because it keeps it fresh. So that was quite different because, yes, you're calling the action, but so much of what you do in that racing as well is speculation. That's actually what commentary is a lot of the time because you're not a mind reader. You can kind of pick up certain things in body language and looking at timing splits. But a lot of commentary is kind of going, well, I think they look a bit like this, so maybe they're struggling. And you have to kind of speculate. And actually, one of the beauties of commentary is when the athlete proves you wrong. Like, that's brilliant. Like, I have no problem with an athlete proving me wrong by just sort of almost like they can hear me and saying, hey, I'm not done yet. I'm coming back. Like, I think that works really well. Um, but you, you also, if you don't ever make an opinion on anything, it's a bit boring. It's almost like you've got to be willing to kind of back what you're seeing and say well maybe they're looking a bit tired but I know from their history that they're going to back this up later on in the race or and so it's, it's a bit more about speculating forming an opinion telling stories with those longer broadcasts Super League is so different so I'm working Super League this weekend I don't have a database for Super League and I don't think I'm going to do one purely because the racing is so fast and it's so furious you do not have time to tell anyone's story it is you know these short there I think they're about less than 20 minutes each the rounds so swim bike and run it's it's so fast there's so much going on that you just don't really have the time so that's much more about calling what you're seeing and talking about the tactical side of it especially because Super League has all these different ways of earning points and gaining time um, knowing their rules inside out is probably the biggest thing that helps you to commentate really well on Super League. And then obviously with Collins Cup, it's a bit of a hybrid of the two. It's a really long broadcast, but we're trying to flip between races as much as we can. So when we're on a race for a little bit of time, when it's obvious that we're going to stick with the race and we do have uh, like a producer in our ear saying we're staying with this match, we're staying with this match. When that happens, then you can go into more details. Then you can start talking more about the athletes in question and their results and that kind of thing. Um, but not when you're thinking, right, they've warned me that we're probably going to have a minute here. So I haven't got time to go into a spiel about Nicholas Beerig's illustrious career because I just don't have the time. So instead, you pick up on what you're seeing in front of you. So it's definitely different depending on what race it is. And yeah, this weekend I'm fully expecting to go back in, having not done Super League since May, to go back into it being absolute craziness and don't expect to get too much in the way of facts and stats out there. It's more going to be say what you see. And Vicky, last year and previous years, you were commentating during your own race season. And this year you've taken a step back from racing. You recently announced that you are pregnant. So congratulations on that. But thank you. Like, how is it different? I guess the experience, like when you're commentating, I know this year obviously is very different, but do you ever wish you were out there racing versus commentating? Or are you just like mindset totally different? Today's a commentating day. This is where I belong. 
it has been weird. So this year, as you said, is really different for several reasons. Um, at the beginning of the year, I didn't know if I wanted to carry on in triathlon anyway. I was intending to take some time away, do some commentary, kind of figure it out as we went through the year. But we also wanted to have a family. So I knew that was kind of my A plan for the year was let's let's have a family. Um, so we are lucky that we are doing that. <laughs> so this year is obviously an absolute write off in terms of me racing, which makes it a lot easier for me to go to the races as someone who is commentating the races um, and not really thinking about racing. Now, I say that but in the last couple of months, I probably have gone to the races and gone, oh, there's a bit of an itch there to race, whereas I didn't have that earlier this year. I was a bit out of love with the sport um, from an athlete perspective. And for me, I wasn't going to those early races. Didn't even go to the Leeds World Series and commentate that and think, God, I wish I was doing it. And that's like 10 minutes from my door. Um, and I wasn't at that point thinking, gosh, I wish I could have done this with all my friends and family here. And I was still a bit kind of removed, but it was sort of after that, that I started to go to races and think, yeah, it looks kind of fun. Maybe I could, and what, you know, even, oh, could I maybe come back and do middle distance? Would that be an option? And, and those kind of things. So I'm still weighing all that up, but to go kind of further back when I have done commentary in my race season, I think it's depended a lot on what the race is. So when I went to Collins Cup last year, it was, I want to say, four weeks after the Olympic Games. So it was, everything was still pretty raw at that point coming off an Olympics. Anyone who's been to an Olympics will attest to the fact that you come off it and whether you've had an amazing race or you've had a really disappointing one or whether you're just average, there is just this roller coaster of emotions that you ride. And I was pretty deep in that. And so I went there. And it was nice to just go and do something different, <laughs> to, to be honest. And it's not an event that I'd known loads about beforehand, not an event that had ever been on my radar to try and qualify for. So it felt really easy to just slot into being a commentator that day. When I've raced um, in short course and then been injured and so been asked to go and commentate, I found that quite hard because... For example, throughout the whole 2017 season, I was injured, so I couldn't race. So I did quite a few races commentating for the BBC and going there progressively got harder as the races went on. But I was thinking, you know, I was still very motivated to be out there and I wasn't even able to run. So I'm sort of finding that a bit more challenging. And at that point as well, I felt like what I brought to commentary was my expertise of having been in the races and knowing the dynamic and understanding what it felt like at any moment. And I felt like I started to lose that. So over the last few years, what I've really tried to build is a different kind of understanding of the races that I can still bring, even when I'm not an athlete anymore, so that that relevance of me as an expert commentator can continue whether I'm still an athlete or whether I'm retired. And was race commentating always something you wanted to do? Has it, you know, developed as you've been racing and kind of realized that, you know, you are quite good at it, right? And so, um, you know, yeah, like, had you always kind of looked at that as something you'd be interested in, in doing, you know, during and after your career in sport? Honestly, no. Um, my whole career has been something that I never expected. I never realized as a kid growing up that you could do sport as a full-time career. Like I did not think that was a thing. I, I think I remember being at university um, and I started triathlon at university. I went there as a swimmer and a runner 
I got to university and I sort of got drafted into triathlon unwillingly at first and then eventually I kind of found the love um and I remember one of the guys I used to train with talking about living the dream and living the dream was when you could do it and be paid to do it and that was that was like the absolute dream and I think that was the first time I even thought I was like you can do this like as a career like you don't have to just get a job and do sport on the side because I think that's just what I'd always assumed it was um I as, even growing up as a runner I just and a swimmer but I was probably better as a runner when I went to university I remember thinking like oh well I'm going to be a runner but obviously I'll have to have a job and then run in the morning or run in the evening like that's just how it works so yeah my my whole sporting career was something that Firstly, I never thought I was going to do triathlon because I didn't even really know what it was. Thought I was going to be a runner. Um, and then I didn't realize that you could do it and be paid to do it. And then with commentary, that kind of happened by accident. So I raced um, the London 2012 Olympics and the female race was on the, the Saturday. The male race was on the following Tuesday. And on the days in between, I was contacted by the lady who deals with a lot of the media work for British triathlon saying that the BBC were looking for someone, an athlete, to go into the commentary box with for the men's race, just to kind of give a bit of extra expert punditry. And I was the first person that came to mind because I talk so much. <laughs> like I talk like this in normal life or whether I'm commentating or whether I'm talking on a podcast. And I jumped at it. I went, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm hanging around the Olympic Village, living life to the full, but not got anything else planned so that was the first gig I ever did and that one went out to I think like five million people because it was the Olympic Games um, and at the time I had no idea that that was going to be the case but I got some really quite good feedback from that and as a result it just happened that every so often through the years I get asked hey Vicky do you want to do this are you free to do this we know you're not racing that race would you be willing to come and commentate or something like that so I guess progressively as my career has gone on, it's something that I thought I might do. Um, I, I still don't really know. I still, I'm still, I'm sat here not knowing if I'm ever going to race again, not knowing if I'm just going to go headlong into commentary, whether I'm more interested in trying to learn how to do bits of presenting with TV work or whether I just want something completely different in my life. Like I just, I don't know. I'd love to say I've got it all figured out. Um, but the truth is that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> is there any race that you would just love you you know dream race to be on the commentating team in triathlon or anything anything I think being involved in the Olympics in that way I mean I I'm I'm short course through and through as I think you probably know I've never yet maybe one day but never yet raced anything over Olympic distance and it's always been the thing that set that fire in me from watching the Olympics as a kid um through initially thinking I was going to go as a swimmer then as a runner then eventually as a triathlete and so for me the Olympics is still like the ultimate pinnacle of sport um and yet yeah, triathlon or anything to be honest to be involved in any of the sports at the Olympic Games would be would be amazing I think it's uh yeah it's just it's the greatest sporting show on earth and especially if you're looking at it from a career point of view, I mean, it goes out to the most amount of people as well. So it's also pretty good from that angle as well. But yeah, I just think in terms of what I love, where my, where my heart and soul is, it's always been with, um, with the Olympic Games. 
And Vicki, you were very clear that your pregnancy announcement was not a retirement announcement. And talking to you today, it sounds like you may not have it all quite figured out for what's going to happen afterwards, but we have to directly. Yeah, I know. We, we do have to kind of, you know, pinpoint you down on this question though. Are there triathlon racing goals that you're still hoping to go after that are, you know, kind of sitting in the back of your mind that might, you know, surface a little higher once you have the baby and get, get back out there? Yeah, it's it's funny because I honestly think if you'd asked me that question about three months ago, I would have said, oh, I'm basically retired. I just haven't announced it yet. Um, and I think from, from the end of the Olympics last year, right the way through till New Year, I lived in an absolute whirlwind of trying to still race. Um, our race season went really late for us last year and it's going even later this year um, due to the last race of the season being in Abu Dhabi. And they've got sort of temperature issues there that they have to work around. So I raced until late. We got married. Um, we we technically legally got married in 2020, but in a in a very COVID manner with just immediate family there. So we did like the big party celebration again last year. So we had a wedding, and that's when we went on our honeymoon, and you know got back from our honeymoon mid December. And at that point, it was like things starting to kind of hit me a little bit that I'd not probably dealt with in terms of what next. Like we'd always said Olympics and then maybe we'll try and have a child. Well, then the Olympics got moved a year um, and the maybe one more year of racing, maybe have a child straight away. Well, that extra year got taken by COVID. So then it was a case of, OK, well, let's try and have a family. Um, and with triathlon, I think. I just felt that I didn't have anything else to give. And I think that's a, that's a double-edged thing of, well, not double, it's, it's, it's got multiple points to it. You know, I'm 36 now. Um, I've been doing triathlon since I was 19. I've been doing high level running and swimming since eight, nine, a <laughs> uh, very long time. And I think I'd got to the point where I felt like I, I didn't love it as much as I used to. I didn't have that burn to go training every day. Um, and I always felt like this sport is too hard to do if you don't love it. If you don't love it, I don't know why you do it. It's not, a, it's not something that you can just cruise by. You kind of can't like, and I'm not someone who is so exceptionally talented that I can just get by. I have to go all in. And I just kind of got to January and thought, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore I don't want to do this anymore and rather than just immediately saying right I'm done I took some advice from some people in my corner who said just give yourself some time so that was kind of the first thing just kind of taking a step back then kind of doing a bit of commentary work finding out we were pregnant um, as the months sort of rolled on I've kind of gone well could do and I think it's more that I, I, there are some really great role models in triathlon now that honestly weren't there 10 years ago in terms of women who are showing that you can do it all you can and it's I'm sure it's not easy and they have a lot of support and there's a lot of logistical challenges to it but it's possible whereas it was never really the thing before and I've always said to people oh no no I'm going to finish my career and then I'm going to try and have a family um and I'm that person who's now going well it could it could be possible and there are some races like the PTO stuff for the first time ever is making me think about middle distance like it was never something that was on my radar and I think 
the issue with going back to short course racing is that I'm not sure if I can be better than I was and dedicated my entire life for over 15 years to being the best in the world and you know I won a world title I got an Olympic medal and yeah okay we always everyone wants more no matter what you ask anybody why is Daniela still doing it you know she's won everything there is to win but you always want more you have your own goals and whilst the Olympic dream is something that as I've already just discussed that burns deep in me and always has done I don't know if I could be better than I was whereas if I was to take on something new like trying to do middle distance there's there's a challenge to that there's a there's a challenge of I've never worked out how to ride a bike like that I've never sat on a time trial bike um I've got no level to work from it's almost like anything I do is an improvement on nothing right (laughs) so there is there is a there is a bit of excitement around maybe taking on that kind of stuff. And also I think if I was to kind of look at that distance, it does keep my options open for that shorter stuff. Cause I think there are a couple of things that I would really need to change if I was going to improve over the short course and maybe by challenging myself to work on the middle distance, I'd inadvertently improve those as well, especially regarding the bike. The bike was something I battled with my whole career to be, as good as I needed to be and in the last couple of years the girls who really took the bike level on a notch in short course racing it got to the point where it was it was beyond me and I couldn't work out how to get there whereas maybe that is the challenge that by trying to balance a bit of middle distance a bit of short course maybe I could get there but these are all I mean, you're basically getting a bit of word vomit right now because it's all just kind of swilling around in my brain somewhere. And I'm also very, very aware that in January there's going to be a baby and my life is never going to be the same again. And my brain is probably going to say, what on earth are you thinking? You're not going back to that. Like, it's all about this baby right now. So I'm, I'm fully aware for biology to kick in and tell me, no, 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 you're a mama now. Like, this is what you do. But yeah, I think the, the really big thing for me is, is seeing the role models, like seeing people like Sarah, people, Sarah True, of course, sorry, people like Chelsea Sodaro, Jackie Herring, Jocelyn McCauley. They were obviously all at Collins Cup, Nicola Spirig, what she's done with three kids over the years. I just don't know how. I mean, I know Rito Hook, her husband has been massive in that but there there are so many others obviously I haven't mentioned but it's just it's actually quite inspiring I think and I I find myself more than ever rooting for those people because I'm thinking yeah you're doing it as a mom like that's impressive well, thank you so much for that insight. We really appreciate that. I know that a lot of our listeners will, will appreciate you kind of walking us through that whole thought process and, and recognizing that even for someone like you, it isn't, there's no certain path and you are kind of seeing how things go <laughs> no. as they go, but we wish you the best of luck with the rest of your pregnancy. We can't wait to hear your voice on every commentating team that you're on. Good luck this weekend at super league. And thank you so much for, for chatting with us today. No, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Alyssa, I thought Vicky's answer on the women versus girls, uh, you know, debate as a broadcaster is, was interesting. And I give her a lot of credit for taking a step back and wanting to know if she should learn more, because I think that's my, my, my default. A lot of times it's like, you know, I'm always trying, I, I love learning and sometimes I'm learning from my mistakes, but 
I'm curious about your thoughts on that. You're, I mean, we aren't necessarily broadcasting on quite a similar stage, but do you speak differently when you are podcasting versus when in everyday life? So I think it's more and more. I don't, I think in the beginning, I probably did more, but now I think podcasting has become so second nature. We've been doing this for years and years that I don't think, I think podcasting has for sure made me a better speaker in everyday life because I for sure think more about the word, maybe not in like private conversations to Matt. Like I think there, I'm just saying stream of consciousness a lot of times, but you know, I do think public facing, I for sure have learned a lot through podcasting to kind of give myself some room to think about what I'm saying first. Um, and for that question, you know, I think one thing that I thought about during her answer is that personally, you know, as a listener and a human and a woman, I have learned over the last like probably year or so to take less offense or like to take it less personally, you know, when someone's referring to me or athletes that I'm peers with or something as girls, because that is something I used to kind of, kind of put my fist down and, and be like annoyed at to put <laughs> quite bluntly. Um, because, you know, I think Vicky said that she didn't mind and like, if, you know, and that's for herself. And so for myself, I was in the opposite chair. Right. So I did mind, but I have kind of taken a step back and realized that like, oh, well, Vicky doesn't mind that that woman doesn't mind, you know, it's not necessarily something to take offense at. It's kind of people have different views and are going to speak differently because of that. Right. So that's something where I've changed, but I still stick to women as much as I can when I'm speaking and, and talking about, uh, you know, athletes and my peers and, uh, people, people competing because I think that as a society, I, you know, personally, my view is that I feel like using the term women versus girls helps kind of elevate women's status as athletes. And I think we still need a lot of that in the world, right? We still need a lot of people to be elevating female athletes. And so I think by using the term women versus girls, my personal view is that it helps like a tiny, tiny bit helps do that. Right. And it helps maybe people take them more seriously, maybe think of them more as people who should be getting more money, more media, more sponsorships, all of that stuff. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in that. But what about you? What were your thoughts on that? I, I definitely, I think I speak differently on the podcast versus in real life. Like I'm talking about casual conversations. Um, in real life, I, I think I talk a lot faster because I actually try to slow down on the podcast. It might not come across, but I'm trying. And I use a lot, a lot, a lot more four letter words. in real life. <laughs> and I, try, I am amazed. I mean, I, it is like interesting. I can keep myself from, you know, from doing that, um, when I'm podcasting. And so I am someone who loves, loves language. And I do like to learn about that. And I, you know, personally am team woman. And, um, you know, if I'm talking about anyone over the age of 18, um, I think I, cause I, I will use girls and boys, but I mean to be like infantilizing when I do that. Like I, if I'm using that for like, um, you know, men or males over the age of 18, like I, I say boys, but I'm like, I mean it derogatorily. <laughs> so I guess that's where I'm coming from. Like if I, I, I think my brain, I'm thankful my brain usually works okay on that. And I, um, am actually 
usually fairly careful with my word choices. And it depends again on the audience. And, um, but even in, like you said, sometimes in my everyday life, there are certain words that I have definitely replaced, or I try not to use even when I'm talking with my friends, just because I've learned that it's not a good option. And so I like that challenge of like being like, okay, let's, what else can I use my vocabulary? Because this isn't a good word. And, um, so that's kind of where I come from it from, from, but should I just, if I started talking like normal on here, we would have to have like major explicit ratings. (laughs) Well, and everyone would have, we get very familiar with their slow it down. Like what's the, is there a slow it down button on your pod? I know there's a speed up button. You can do like 0.5. I think my sister can listen to this on three times, which is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happens when you grew up with me. She's like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But Alyssa, great conversation, you know, interesting, interesting topics. And um, I hope you have an excellent rest of your week and I will chat with you next week. Bye Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Etitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.